0: This episode is brought to you by Bray Wealth Insights. As an entrepreneur, there are many things to know. Bray Wealth Insights is in the business of helping business owners gain clarity. Many owners do not understand the importance of the relationship between their business, their personal estate plan, and their workforce. Bray Wealth Insights helps entrepreneurs to build business continuation plans, recruit, retain, and reward key employees. And with cutting edge surveys and tools, they help owners to understand what their workforce values. For more information, you can contact Bray Wealth Insights at info at BraewI.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-R-A-E-W-I.com. Now back to our regular scheduled programming.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, where we will talk all things business building and beverages. I'm Greg Sobosinski on the show today. We have Tom Nichols, um, or as I like to say, Tom of All Trades. Uh, Tom, how's it going?
0: Good. How are you doing?
1: So um, we call him Tom of All Trades for a few reasons. Tom, will get into that in a bit. Um, but typically, when we have people on this show, they have one main primary thing. And in Tom's case, he has maybe a, a few primary things and a few side things going on as well. Uh, but Tom, how are you doing today?
0: Good, good. All is well here. The holiday wrapping up. It's been a, a good run.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So with all this busy stuff going on, the holidays wrapping up, Um, maybe just start with what you have planned for um, next year, next year's goals. Do you have any type of year-end type of planning that you do?
0: Yeah, every year, usually during this time, I have off of work for a few weeks. So I like to dedicate this time to situating next year's goals, mm-hmm. finances, kind of wrapping up at the end of the year how did the year perform what can we do better what did we learn and just uh setting forth what's planned for next year
1: yeah what do you what do you do metrics wise I know a lot of people have different metrics that they use to track at least maybe that determine hey these things are either lead indicators or lagging indicators for success um which ones for you seem to be the, the primary ones because
0: everyone's got like kind of different ones um so I use believe it or not just Google sheets, I, um, enter a lot of my data in there in everything that I'm doing, whether it's stock related, whether it's just basic home finances, retirement, performance, um, real estate performance, and kind of, did I meet my goals for the year? Yes or no, Mm -hmm. you know, what was my spend? Did I overspend, underspend? Did I? not pay enough attention to like a certain category that should have used more attention and maybe could have gave a better performance in.
1: Right. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that, um, metric wise that people don't have dialed in at least to a part of the extent is, you know, they might have things from a general budgeting perspective. Um, but maybe before we jump into that, let's kind of talk larger picture, maybe get some of your backstory. Cause I know we're going to come back to a lot of this stuff later. Um, so, Give us kind of the backstory because, you know, obviously um, I know you decently well now uh, having been, uh, we're we're family and uh, just wanted to kind of pick your brain on some of this stuff because we like to talk all things business related and things that are tangential to that. So things that um, either help with the business or how maybe you have multiple different ventures going on at the same time. Um, And I thought your story was interesting because you had... um, I don't know. It's like a, a hand in a bunch of different pots, so to so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think that sometimes the the allure of business can seem distant to some people. Meaning, it, it's like, well, they're a business owner, they could do that. Uh, but you know, I, I'm just working my job and you know doing these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot more overlap there, a lot more um, cross pollination, if you will, or a lot more opportunity um, to either have one leg in each camp or, um, you know, just multiple ways that business ownership can also overlap with having a job or, you know what I mean? Um, so maybe let's take it back, who knows, 15 years or whatever, back when (laughs) maybe this adventure started and kind of walk us through maybe just, um, I don't know, some of the key points on how we got here to where we are today.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we can start with, um, you know, maybe a little further than 15 years, but, Um, something I've noticed young and I think my family always noticed was I was always interested in construction, building architecture. Um, Mm -hmm. I always liked to manage money. I like to see numbers and that was always my strong suit. So with that, I stayed busy consistently. I was always working, um, from 13 on maybe even younger, my neighborhood, um, best friend, he, his uncle did like holiday things they would make like wreaths and different like um you know displays for christmas and stuff so i would work down there from early november into late december making christmas wreaths and like centerpieces out of live christmas tree choppings from like local tree vendors right so from there i really started like making a little bit of decent money at 13, right? Anything was great. So from there, I was just like noticing I was saving. I was working. I always wanted to work. I I liked creating things. So when he would give me a wreath, he would say like, you know, decorate it up, put a bow on it, you know, put some bells, fake snow, whatever. And I really liked that creation aspect. So as time went on, I always found myself reconstructing my parents' house at a young age. Hmm. driving them nuts. I would rip the kitchen apart. I'd rip the basement apart, whatever.
1: This and, is without their knowledge yeah, or without yeah, their consent.
0: Would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. My dad worked uh, a lot of hours and I think that's where my work ethic came from. He would work, you know, 16, 18 hours a day. So I would just be running rampant in the house. What, ripping what, stuff what, what field? So he was a union laborer, union bricklayer, and he also worked at Boeing. Got it. So in that combination of my younger years, he was kind of, again, in his hands in multiple pots, always working. And anybody that worked for Boeing knows that, you know, overtime and holiday work and all that, it was commonly always available and people would take advantage of it. Right. So it was hard to get people out of the factory. Mm. So as he worked long days, I always, whatever, build a tree house out back. I'd rip my little swing set apart and rebuild it. I was always doing something always creative construction, which kind of pushed me to, um, probably around like 18 or so. I wanted to go into architecture, but ultimately chose a path in airframe mechanics and composite fabrication, which landed me at Boeing, which is my full-time job now. Hmm. So started at Boeing at 18, uh, didn't really understand much, you know, young, wanted to always party and have fun and do whatever, do the opposite of what I'm doing now. And it wasn't until probably around like 24, I would say, that I really started awakening to, you know, where, where it started projecting me to today. Um, so it, it was fun, you know, I, I had a lot of fun and had a good job, but I never built structure, I was just young and dumb if you want to call it yeah do do you think that um
1: i don't know do, that that creative outlet that you mentioned of wanting to create um do you think that is something that is innate in a lot of business related people and how they do things and is the business
0: portion of that an extension of that that creativity i think it is i think creativity and just kind of wanting to build things as a whole is definitely on the business side of things. I think a lot of business owners start out with obviously their idea, their creation of the business and how they're gonna grow the business. And, you know, in my opinion, people that lose that going down the road, ultimately, you know, lose their business or end up finding yourself negative in the long run. But the people that stick with what their true inside is telling them to create and build businesses ultimately end up being the most successful ones.
1: Yeah. The um, so you mentioned Boeing, and this is part of the reason why I think your story is interesting is because um, you know it's that like I mentioned before that inability for people to relate. Um, you know, some people can't relate necessarily to, "Hey, I'm dropping everything I'm doing just to start this business," but they can relate to, "Hey." I have a job. I have a job I'm making money, but maybe I can do something. Job plus X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe talk about that a little bit. So it sounds like you, you, you know, started with this thing at Boeing, but you also still had other pieces to the puzzle.
0: Yeah. Um, so wasn't until probably a few years into Boeing, I started doing a lot more side things. Uh, I used to tint car windows. That was something I did on the side for about two years. Um, my mom being a real estate agent when her clients would need some quick fixes, whether it be painting a room, fixing some trim, windows not locking, you know, she would call me and I would go do it and, you know, do for a couple bucks. It was fine. But from there, I think that kind of opened my door into the real estate side of where I am now. So from there, you know, I think it pivoted to a couple different directions, but you know, I always wanted to have something on the side. Uh, There were some old timers I worked that always said, you know, prepare for the rainy day, but I didn't quite understand it because they kept it so vague. Mm. I didn't know what it was. So it wasn't until, you know, I was in my mid early twenties, like, Hey, you need another source of income or something to fall back on, you know, God forbid the door shut. Right. And that's kind of where I started sprawling out to everything. I kind of, you know, projected from then to today. And it's, it's where I am today. How would you describe, I
1: guess, the, the common, um, you know, nine to five worker? You know, th- there's something that I think is to be said for pursuing certain entrepreneurial paths. There seems to be this thing where people don't do that because they're like, well, you know, I want job security. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to deal with the ebbs and flows. Meanwhile, it's like on the other hand, it seems like, well, that that picture could also be reversed, meaning, so, well, I can create my own job security by finding something that I'm good at that people will always need, mm-hmm. but the job that I can always be fired from or let go from doesn't all of a sudden seem as secure, you know what right. I mean? So there's this interesting dichotomy of um, the entrepreneurial route versus you know the, the standard nine to five person who has a job. And they both seem to be doing it for security. <laughs> you, know what right. I, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, so it's, it's this weird type of dynamic. Um,
0: so what, what are your thoughts on that? So I think I, I changed my outlook on the W-2 worker um, as I've kind of progressed through my Boeing um, work there that a lot of the old guys would always say like, you know, what are you going to do if you leave this place? What is this? What are you going to do if this place closed its doors tomorrow? And I realized that a lot of the old timers, they would say that stuff because they didn't have anything. You know, they operated in a scarce mentality of, you know, they knew deep down that they didn't have anything else to fall back on. Like they've been doing this for 30 plus years or longer. And this is their only source of income. It's the only thing they ever knew. It's the only thing they ever trained themselves in. They never branched out to learn anything else. Mm. So I think when I pivoted around, you're right. You know, I heard this over and over and over, you know, what if Boeing closes, you know, what will Tom do? So that's where I started really branching out, like questioning really, what can I do? You know, will people use me as a contractor? Will I be successful in the stock market enough to, you know, use that as an income? And you know ultimately in the long run it's obviously where i positioned myself then which over years has you know become success in itself but um yeah the the w2 worker that gets stuck in that 9 to 5 and don't want to do anything else because they're scared to try anything else they they need to branch out and try something new once in a while yeah and for the most part i think i think the uh again,
1: the, the abundant mindset of, Hey, let's, let's do maybe for, let's do this plus this. Cause I, I also don't think that, you know, the best route sometimes is to just say, well, let's just, you know, throw this away and and go do something. You know what I mean? I think it's, you know, it's like, um, Sarah Blakely of Spanx, you know, she kind of did, she started that company on her own, still has a hundred percent equity in that company. Mm -hmm. It's like a billion dollar company. Meanwhile, it's like she still worked her job until it was like, okay, And she made a parallel move over. Okay, Mm -hmm. it makes sense to do this. Right. It's not like this. I'm just going to jump off this ship just because I think I should do something. Granted, that may work for some people. Um, but you know, I I think the the tragedy here really is the the lack of exploration by by certain people to try things or at least experiment with what skills do I have or could could I have? Like you're mentioning these guys at 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 um at Boeing for like 30 plus years who may or may not have other things deep down they want to do or at least try. And um, I don't know, I guess that's what what kind of what entrepreneurship is, allows you to kind of scratch that itch of, you know, what what else could I I make of this?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, that I've had so many conversations about this, you know, when do I make that lateral move of where the things that I've built up become the replacement of my W-2? And I kind of get the same answer from everybody, you know, keep using your W-2 as the crutch to position yourself. Even if you're making more money elsewhere, if you can manage the W-2 and it's not leaning into your progression, then, you know, stick with it.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain level where it's like, well, I'm already here. I'm already have the job. I'm already know what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. And if I can be strategic with those hours and fit them into the picture, it's kind of just like gravy at that point on yeah. top of what, whatever else is going on.
0: Yeah. I know I drive the wife nuts, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have really tried over the last year managing and being efficient with my time in itself. So that involved, you know, cutting overtime back post shift. So I no longer stay over on my W two. I'll go in early. I'll work weekends, but I'll only work to a certain point during the day because I know that I have to be somewhere to get, you know, task A done or task B done relevant to what I'm doing outside of Boeing. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that's part of it too is, you know, sometimes it's easy to talk about some of the stuff in a vacuum, like, oh, well, there's nothing else going on. So, you know, Mm -hmm. do as many entrepreneurial ventures as you can. Well, that's not the reality. There's also other things. There's family, friends, et cetera, that need to be attended to and should be attended to. Um, So maybe talk a little bit about your um, your time management, or what what you've looked to do, or maybe uh, what you're looking to do going forward in in some of those areas.
0: Yeah. Uh. So time management. Um, I think it really came to bite me in the past couple of years that my time management was so selfish-driven that you know I didn't reflect on like you were saying relationships, family, and everything. Um. And I think. You know my my full-time job allowing me to make the money I'm making and allowing me to work as many hours as I possibly want seven days a week kind of opens that door. And I think you see that all too common with the typical, you know, Boeing worker in Philadelphia that Boeing enables, you know, people to live at that place and not even think twice about their family. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can kind of say that it, okay, okay, it's a good thing. They can make the money they need or maybe the extra money for our holidays. But at the same time, you know, I I would say the divorce rates are pretty high Mm. because people live at that place seven days a week, you know, 12, 16 hours a day. And I was that person at one point in time, Um, you know, 24 to 27, I was working 1500 additional hours a year doing overtime at Boeing and I was flipping houses. So you know, you want to talk about time management. There was none. It was just Tom's world and my world. And I got to say at the tail end of that, I think it was in 2018, late 17, everything self-destructed around me, like everything, all my relationships with my family, you know, my temper and just everything just started falling apart rapidly. And then I really, really sat back and thought like, I need to do better with time management. I need to be, you know, where I need to be. I need to focus where I need to focus. You know, I had a, I don't have any kids, but having a dog at home alone, you know, asking the parents to go see the dog or whatever, like that really started taking a toll. Mm. So ultimately I sat down through 2018 and into 19 and like really defined how do I make the most of my time, you know, stop doing jobs for free on the side, you know, take that time and maybe go to dinner, um, go out on the weekends, see some friends, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, a big piece. And, you know, there, there's, again, there, there's two sides to every coin. So it's like on one hand, um, you know, you can almost tangibly see the benefit. It's easy to convince yourself, "Hey, this is for my, for my future." You know, whatever mm. that might be, this is for the good of that. Um, but there's also another side that's like, "Well, what am I? What am I giving up on the other end?" Or, or, you know, am I am I shooting myself in the foot? Am I not allowing myself to to rest? You know what yeah. I mean? Am I taking too much time? That's actually it's becoming um, not even productive it's just extra time being sunk because maybe after a certain period my brain's not working as it as it could at at peak and so i'm just kind of losing these hours i become less yeah. efficient over those hours so maybe oh, yeah. i just stop and recharge on family and friends etc and even from like a, a a quote unquote profitability perspective it's like i have this conversation with a few other people but like you know your time when you realize the importance of those pieces like the, the family and the friends and being able to integrate that succinctly into the picture, you know, so it becomes pretty apparent some of the stuff that has to, has to fall away, whether that's, you mentioned the jobs you're doing for free or in other mm-hmm. businesses, maybe, well, why am I doing these activities that aren't profitable? Maybe I'm being quote unquote paid for my time. You know what I mean? But I'm not really profiting in any real sense of the word. I'm really just kind of a laborer at that point. Yeah. Um, But it's a hard discussion because I think sometimes people use activity as a proxy for, um, I don't know, profitability or 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 success or I'm making moves or whatever that case is. Just activity of doing things themselves when in reality that activity might be extremely inefficient.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, I. You know, it's funny. I can recall at the height of my, we so there was a repair that we were doing at work and. I remember clocking out after a 28 hour work day and going home and having only, you know, three hours of sleep and going right back into work and doing like an 18 hour day. And I ultimately started getting these like vision headaches almost. Like I started seeing like color squares and stuff in my vision. Oh, that's that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. I was living on Wawa and monsters And, uh, the manager that was overseeing the project was just like pumping them in us. So it was just like, you know, we were working, it's one in the morning, I'm crushing a monster and like a a bagel and just going back to work. And I think after that, we rolled right into the holiday and we, we forced ourselves, you know, we had, we're shut down for two weeks. So we forced a two week vacation. And I like, really was like, my God, like I'm killing myself. Like I had these ongoing migraines You know, I barely seen sunlight and that was like, I think one of the cracks in what was going on and the repair ended up going into February, I think February, March timeframe. And at the end of it, I was like, you know, I racked in the maximum overtime that you're allowed in any two week pay period. And I got my check and almost wanted to like throw up because I've hit that that number in the tax bracket cycle that, you know, they took whatever, like 40% of my check away <laughs> and mm. I was like, why did I trade so much time and life to just, you know, give it all away at that point. Mm. So that was like, I started seeing another fracture. There was like another fracture in that. And that's where it kind of brought me to that, like 17, 18 timeframe of like, I need to do something different. I can't, you know, live at Boeing. I can't, you know, work my life away, I need to do things, even if they're less profitable, if I get more enjoyment out of it, you know, that's better to me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can go in and make, you know, good money on an overtime weekend. But if I made, you know, two thirds of the money, but I did something that I actually enjoyed and had a creative outcome that I can like step back and like, all right, cool, you know, I whatever frame this garage or something like that, something I enjoyed doing, then it was worth it to me at a trade off. Isn't that, isn't that wild,
1: like the, you know, from the tax perspective, when you have people who are willing to work massive amounts of hours, whether they want to or not, and then to come to the realization is that, you know, wow, maybe I need to rethink this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, Uncle Sam's kind of overseeing this thing to the point where it's like, well, why would I ever want to incentivize people to to not work? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I don't know, it's just a bizarre thing. Like I I will tell the story anecdotally sometimes, but I who told me the story, but it was about Ronald Reagan and he lived in California. This was back in, I think, uh, 19, the 1940s, 50s, I think it was, or 40, late 40s. And um, uh, he was an actor at the time. And with the, the federal bracket plus the state bracket, I mean, he was making, at the $200,000 threshold, his tax bracket between the two was over 100%. It was like, I think it was 80, 88 over the 200,000 threshold mm-hmm. for, for Fed. And then it was like 13 at the state. <laughs> so he's in like the 101, 102 tax bracket. Like, what, the yeah. hell, what does that even mean? You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just like at that point, he would just kind of hit that number and then just stop working. It's like, why would I do this? Mm-hmm. Every dollar I make over this amount, 88 cents in the dollars going to the government. So why yeah. would I continue to do this? And then, so you see this kind of this trade of, you know, what is this time worth? And from an entrepreneur, how do I, how do I manage this? So that's, it's, it's, I'm, I'm effective, but I'm also not working for somebody else while trying right. to do my own thing,
0: you know? Yeah. That is something that I've definitely, after seeing that paycheck, um, that year kind of coincided with one of my best, income years at that time. And from there, it put me on to uh, Google, like, how can I pay less taxes as a simple term typed into Google. And I started getting involved in, you know, looking at tax planning ways to be, you know, return as much money to me as I possibly could. And I think a lot of people, you know, they don't get educated in what is available out there as, tax planning and trying to figure out how to keep as much money as you can in your pocket. So, you know, that kind of brought me into really, really pushing on to real estate and investing more, mm. which pushed me heavily into the stock market, you know, dumping into my IRAs and my 401ks, HSAs, parking money in different places and buying real estate. Yeah. It, it seems like, um,
1: you know, it's a simple question. That you might have, or someone might have, about taxes. Like, what do I do in this scenario? How do I? But it's like if you look at the, the tax code in full. I mean, I think it's like seventy thousand pages. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, insane. Like, how am I supposed to get any answers to? And even when you do read it, it's always all these but, if, except, <laughs> you know what you know what I mean? It's like, how can any person supposedly understand or try
0: to navigate this? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, there's um a buddy of mine has a real good tax planner and he is so hot on all these changing laws and changing codes and do this, do that, you know, and I got involved with him probably about two years ago. And uh, I got to say, you know, he's been night and day in terms of, you know, what I can do uh, income wise, how do I control my tax brackets? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have that conversation somewhere in December, you know, where are we going, where are we putting money, where are we parking it? And it's been very, very efficient.
1: Nice. Um, So we talked about the bell and we talked about some of the side things, maybe let's kind of delve into a little bit more into the, the real estate side mm-hmm. and maybe some of the current things you're doing now, whether it's on either the, the flip side, which you mentioned you've done. And then as well as the, um some of the remodeling
0: stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, started looking at houses. I was always interested in real estate. I always liked architecture and I liked, even if I wasn't in the real estate to buy. I loved just looking at houses. So it really kind of tickled that, that interest there. And with my mom being a real estate agent, uh, you know, when I was younger, she would just take me sometimes to go look at houses to just say, like, Oh, Hey, I got a really nice listing. You should come see this house, whether, mm-hmm. it, you know, in Bryn Mawr or something like that. So I was like, you know, I really always had an interest in real estate. And in 20, I think it was 2017. Yeah, 2017 first flip. Uh, ended up being very successful on it. Bought it on auction.com. <laughs> Believe really? it or not. Sitting at work, just purchased it on auction.com <laughs> and knew nothing about it. Really, you know, you couldn't go to the property or nothing. And I drove by one day, it was on my way home from work and I seen a guy on the roof. So I climbed up the ladder and I was like, hey, what's going on? He was like, Oh, just patching a hole in a roof. I'm like, Oh, great. You know, there's a hole in a roof. It leaked down into the master, into the living room, into the basement and destroyed everything in its path. And I'm like, started getting stressed. Like did I bite off more than I can chew as like my first flip is this going, how's this going to go? So I think I, I was on uh bigger pockets And, you know, they're really talking about, you know, the burr strategy or fix and flip and how to keep your ratios intact and rehab. And I got to say that helped me tremendously. in you know, positioning myself with rehab budgets and things like that. Mm -hmm. Again, it was a very successful flip because the market was up and coming and hot, especially in that area. But uh, at that time, I was like, I got to say, you know, I was scared. I was stressed. <laughs> I have a, a house with a hole in the roof for years, a flooded basement, full of mold. Right. And uh, how do I navigate this one?
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe talk about that for a second, because I think that's something that a lot of people experience in this space when they might, hey, I, I want to start in this thing. And then they get something like that. You know, they, yeah. they get a mold bomb or something <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah. They're like, well, how do I navigate? Or this gets scared. And they're just like, well, Maybe I shouldn't be doing it. And then they stop. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's where a lot of I guess dreams go to die is mm-hmm. oh, I dipped a toe and I'm scared it's not working. <laughs> so I better <laughs> not do that. Oh by the way, I'm never gonna try anything else ever again. <laughs> yeah. Know? Uh
0: you know, one one thing that I could say is through any venture that I've taken, if if the risk was high, like something like that, I knew financially that I could. I wasn't out on a limb, you know, I owe my dad money or I owe grandpa money. Like I was doing everything with my own cash. So if I failed, I knew it was my failure. Right. You know, and I just lost the actual money that I had.
1: Yeah. It becomes more stressful when it's other people's money. And you yes, to... it
0: does. You know, I've played down them roots. Um, you know, I could say that any deal that I've done today has been self-funded. So it's, it's takes the stress off. Now a lot of things, especially through the COVID, where everybody's sitting in and trying to figure out how they're going to make money. I think real estate, you know, Amazon selling, uh, Airbnbs, you know, all them things took off because people just looked at it as, well, I'm sitting home, you know, I'm not really making any money, you know, maybe this is a time to reflect of how do I position myself for another income or a backup income, right? Some people, you know, went off to be successful with their Airbnbs or standing up Amazon businesses and other things. But I think ultimately, we're starting to see that shake out today. You know, you're starting to see like Airbnb is repositioning how they're advertising their site. They're more structuring towards the experience versus the stay. And I think that's very interesting. But what Mm -hmm. it's doing is it's beating down All them people that went and grabbed overpriced real estate and then now are finding themselves, you know, upside down or suffering, or maybe their margins just aren't as good anymore. Um, you know, I I seen that for what it was in the beginning and I chose not to go down that path. Unpack
1: (laughs) unpack that a little bit. So the uh, experience versus the stay.
0: So if you go to Airbnb site, they start, they changed their whole face Mm -hmm. and they started focusing towards you know, a unique experience, you start seeing like right. the container houses, you start right. seeing the mountain houses that are sitting on the edge, you know, and all sorts of unique experiences and adventures. They might not be in the greatest places, but these houses, you know, that people have spent millions of dollars on to make unique, they're full with games, maybe they're, you know, Disney driven, right? Airbnb has started structuring their front page towards that. And you can see like in the past two years, that shift. And they've made the comment, I think it was about a year ago, that they were starting to change the user the user experience towards that.
1: It's funny because it's, it's almost, in some ways, it's almost antithetical to why they started. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because originally it was, listen, I don't have a nice place to stay, so I need to stay on an air mattress. You know what I mean? I need like a place that is just simple, cheap, and whatever. And now it's almost like, well... Let's push us to the bottom and, <laughs> and just
0: just float with these, you know, yeah. uh, containers in the Pacific Northwest. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I think I went on there not too long ago. I think I was trying to plan like a a uh, anniversary or something. I was like, let's just go somewhere, you know, but it has to include the dogs. And I went on and I was like, there's so many places but i don't know if i want to stay at any of them you know they're like they're mm-hmm. they're way out of what i'm looking for like i just need like a one bedroom that allows dogs that isn't cohabitated by the owner you know right um and i found myself and ultimately leaving the site because the algorithms are pushing again, the unique experiences. Right. And they're trying to charge you the premium for that. right? You know, and it's, it's pulling information from like the reviews, the host reviews, the stay reviews, and it's pulling keywords like, you know, super unique, awesome, you know, whatever. And it's pushing them to the front. So when you drop a map and it's starting to show up all these places with the prices above per night, you know, then places are going to be the bigger bubble forcing you to click on them. So it's, Again, like <laughs> it wasn't anything of my interest and ultimately ended up leaving the site because I just, it was too much shuffling around, looking around, you know, I'm zooming in on like one square mile areas to try to find something that wasn't six, $700 a night. I know
1: it, it was, it was a weird swing where for a while it was like, okay, you know, for this wedding, I used to get a hotel, which would cost me like two fifty a night. Mm-hmm. Oh, but wait, I can get an Airbnb. It's a little more, it's a little cozier. I'll do the cooking. I have to do make my own sheets or make my own bed or whatever. But you know, it's a, it's a half the price, yeah. And now it's like almost swinging back to wait. It's like people have been doing the Airbnb. It's like oh, Airbnb, 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 and then it's like wait, well,
0: maybe a hotel makes more sense now. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, it swung back. And, um, during COVID, a lot of the of the hotels because they were either shut down or limited by their counties or states, you know, they lost a ton of money to recover that. And we've seen this widespread across everything is they up the price, you know, Hey, mm-hmm. we got to make up losses somehow, whether it's 10%, 50% of our previous year losses. And you had, you know, employee shortages where they're not cleaning as well. You know, they're really just plugging and playing anybody just to get the hotel up and running. Hey, we're only going to book half the hotel because we only have half the staff or they book the hotel, the whole hotel and it ends up suffering. You know, you could see, a lot of reviews like, oh, it's not clean, you know, food's not cooked anymore, whatever the staff is, you know, disgruntled. You've seen it a lot. And that's where the shift to Airbnb for the few years, you know, really took the, the golden rise. But now I think it's coming back because I think Airbnb has not Airbnb, but the host has become greedy in charging for like cleaning expenses and yeah, you know, it's already built in, but we're going to add more and there's even more. And it just, I think it got out of the affordability range for the average person.
1: Yeah. It, it's kind of a wild because, you know, there seems to be, there may be a variety of reasons for this, a preoccupation with always trying to get maximum dollar or, mm-hmm. or at least push that ceiling to see what yeah. it is. You know what I yeah. mean? Where, you know, it, it's like something we see a lot with, you know, some of the, um, telecommunications companies, internet providers, etc., mm-hmm. where it's like, or even, even some uh, like uh, auto insurance and stuff. It's like, well, I'm paying X, but it's like, every time I call, it's like, I can get it down by like 20%. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, where was that before? It's like, <laughs> what, it's like what's the cost of you doing business and then add your margin on top. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, why is it this constant game of seeing what you can make me pay (laughs) and then me having to like claw it back yeah
0: (laughs) Um, yeah i've always said with um these subscriber services i was having this conversation this morning actually um they want you to break they want you to break inside the household and make that phone call before they will ever entertain a discount um comcast for instance you know our comcast bill was almost three hundred dollars And I called multiple times that there's nothing we do, you're going to have to get, you know, triple play and it's the same amount of money, but you're getting more product. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay here, whatever, bite the bullet. And the one day I got fed up, I broke and I called and the voice prompt said, you know, how may I direct you? And I said, cancel. And immediately in 10 seconds, somebody was on the phone and I said, I'm canceling. They said, well, what will it take to get you to stay? You know, now we're in the customer retention phase of how do we keep our customer? And ultimately what they did was they lowered my bill, I think 35% and locked the price for three years. And I was like, I'm good. Like, this is fine. Like, this is where I've built the cost out that I think this is worth it. You know, top tier internet. We ultimately ended up getting rid of cable because it just, we had a thousand channels that we never watched. So now we have just a bunch of subscriber based channels, which are more than enough and you know in the end it was like you have to break you have to call them and you know basically tell them like i'm leaving like i'm going good luck right not that they really care but they're going to try to at least keep you Mm -hmm. but it takes you to break and make that phone call to eventually lower the price if not they're just going to keep riding the wave of the consumer until you break yeah i
1: that that model really has me fed up it really does and i'm like you know it's like this this need to be um the ultimate you know as opposed to like what what's what's like really good you know what i mean like how can i just do this plus my operational cost plus a profit yeah well companies
0: that size don't care anymore it's all about the shareholder well especially when you have like so so few of them
1: you know what i mean so relatively speaking it's like well it's almost like an oligarchy of, of, of companies that Mm get going to say, Hey, you know, we're, we're both going to do this. So, you know what I mean? It's like this weird,
0: like, um, and it's funny that they only step in like the government will only step in when certain companies are trying to buy certain companies, right? Like, you know, Boeing has come along and bought multiple aircraft companies through the year. But if the conversation ever came up and this conversation, I, in my eyes has probably existed when Boeing was at its dead bottom, You know, its stock was trashed. Its company reputation was junk. Like, There was an entertainment of like, is Boeing a potential buy for somebody like Lockheed or Northern Grumman? Like, would they end up merging? You know, because when you're that low and not affordable Mm. and you control so much of the market space, you know, why wouldn't a company? But again, you know, the government may have stepped in on that and said, no, you can't create a monopoly here. But in other companies, we've seen it in the cell phone world, you know, AT&T bought this person, you know, they're buying this person, Sprint merged right. here, T-Mobile wanted to buy Nextel and all of a sudden the government's involved, took what, three and a half years to settle that case? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, but I guess back to the Airbnb thing, I, I hope that comes full circle and it's like people are like, you know, it's, a, it's the same thing on the education side. It's like, well, let's see what our actual costs and- I'm hoping some of those prices come down in the Airbnb mm-hmm. realm. You know what I mean? People kind of feel the pressure of, hey, people are moving back to hotels. Yeah. I'm not being booked. I'd rather be booked for something and make a profit than not be booked at all. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, in kind of an idea with that is like one of my rental properties, I had a tenant turnover. And when I was gauging the rental market, you know, I was leading into it. I know my tenant was leaving. So I was looking at reports, seeing what the the market's doing in the surrounding areas. And I seen, you know, hey, Pennsylvania dropped 2.2% in rent over the past four or five months. I'm like, okay, well, you know, it still positions me well. I'm fine. But, you know, it are people that bought into these areas at higher dollar, you know, they didn't get like a good off market deal. Maybe they over renovated. Maybe they have high interest loans. Maybe again, they're borrowing money from somebody, you know, are they positioned to take that type of hit? Mm. Cause I know a lot of people, and again, this came with uh, COVID. A lot of people wanted to buy real estate rental properties, you know, their bored in at home, like, Oh, let's go rehab houses and stuff. And the market got saturated with people looking to, you know, wholesale houses or buy rental properties, buy families, And ultimately in the end, you know, a lot of people might end up getting burned if the real estate market does correct, because their margins are just going to be too tight. Mm. You know, they get rid of like their capital expenditures, they get rid of their vacancy um, and a bunch of other things, you know, maybe they do or don't have property management. They don't look at all that stuff. They just kind of exit that out and they're like, hey, it's making $300 a month. Great. This is gold. But in all reality, it's like, you know, hey, your heater goes, you're throwing away, you know, a whole year's worth of profit for one heater because your original deal was not good enough. Your original margin, you know, your off market purchase price was just too high. Or maybe maybe you bought it on the MLS at retail value and then you dumped a bunch of money into it and you can't refinance it to get your money back out. Right. With a high interest rate. So I think I think that's going to shake out, in my opinion, over the next probably couple of years. I think you're going to see that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it's it's gotta be. I mean, you you're more in the know on, on the real estate side. Um, but you know, it's kind of a weird, a weird market right now. Yes, yeah. it seems to be very weird where you have, you know, there's really no incentive for um current homeowners to sell. No. And then there's also real with with the interest rates where they're at, there's also a real uh, hard hard position for buyers as well. So it's yeah, kind of like totally. it's almost like the stalemate of yeah, nothing's really happening on either side.
0: Yeah, I actually seen a, a really good mortgage product come about the other day. You know, speaking of like people that are stuck in a position, you know, unable to buy, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the people do, you know, marry a property, date the rate, and the rate can come down. But I think for people that are uneducated about, you know, the cost of refinancing and the potential of like, say your property, not appraising, there's a lot of things that, you know, kind of go side and side with dating the rate. So it's like, okay, we buy a house, it's at six and a half percent. And maybe in a year or two, we can get it down to like five or five and a half. Well, you know, what's the chance that your one, your property doesn't appraise or, the cost of refinance outweighs, you know, the cost of holding at a higher rate. Right. You know, ultimately, the bigger picture is, yeah, you're going to pay less on the long term. You know, the general cost of the loan, but in the short term, you know, are we going to refinance? Go out? Right. Another thirty-year mortgage right. after we just paid four years off. Now we're going back out. Now it puts us at you know sixty-seven years old, or mortgages paid off. Like there's things that people don't look at. They're just focused on that dollar number, right? Especially when that monthly.
1: Yeah, especially where we're like, with a decrease in like purchasing power, mm-hmm. it's like that's real cash. You know what yeah. I mean? That people are giving up to 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 refinance. And it's like, well, maybe I don't want to play that game. You know, yeah. maybe I, I, I'll i keep that cash right now, even though I'm paying a
0: higher rate. Yeah, I know that the refinance that I just did, I think it was probably close to like $4,000, you know, to do it all said and done. And $4,000 divided over, you know, whatever, two years, three years, four years, you know, is it worth it to say put $4,000 out out front to save $150 a month on an interest rate? Mm -hmm. At this time, like if I'm refinancing, I want like a three point move down. Like if I'm stuck at eight, like I know one of my rentals are stuck at like seven, six, five. Like I'm not going to refinance till I'm down in like low sixes, high fives. It just doesn't make any sense because I know the cost of the refinance is going to be, you know, greater than what I'm going to gain on cash flow. Right. Um,
1: let's kind of switch gears here and go so. You know, we kind of touch base on some of the flip stuff, and you've been in over the past, I guess, what's it been like uh, six months that uh, the, some of the remodeling stuff.
0: Yeah, I had a uh, very heavy remodeling year.
1: And what what's where where did that spawn from? I guess it's kind of you know you 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 mentioned doing some of the stuff in the past, maybe for free or just kind of doing odd jobs. You know, with your mom being a, a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Um, when did this in your mind become? this thing of, Hey, is something I'm kind of doing to something where it's like, well, I think it's worth it to ramp this up a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think it started probably during COVID when everybody couldn't work. There was a lot of people, um, you know, wh- whether it was within my family or close friends that were seeking the need of something that couldn't get, you know, nobody wanted to work. Nobody could work, or maybe they're just so booked up that they couldn't find anybody. So during COVID, I really kind of was like doing a lot of odd end jobs. And I was like, you know, I really enjoy doing this, whether it's just trimming some windows, whether it's, you know, hanging a door, changing a storm door out, something like that. And then one of our newer neighbors, um, you know, we became really good friends with. They were like, you know, we, we trust you. And like, would you be interested in doing our kitchen? they've seen photos of previous houses that I've worked on, you know, flips and rental properties. And they were like, you know, it looks good. They've walked the properties they've seen the work. They're like, would you entertain doing it? And I was like, okay, well, you know, here we are with a 40, $50,000 renovation. Like, let me think about it. And probably like two months later, you know, I ultimately was like, okay, I think, I think we could do this, you know, let's fit it in. I think we started in like middle of October. I was like, we'll be done by, you know, Thanksgiving. And, you know, I pulled it off six weeks full remodel, you know, a thousand square foot kitchen, dining room, living room, hundred percent, everything from flooring to drywall, gutting cabinets, the whole nine. And then from there, it was just kind of word of mouth of people just, Hey, can you do this? You know, then it turned into their parents' kitchen. Then it turned into, you know, a full basement conversion and, you know, Long behold, before I knew it, I was booked up every single weekend just doing things just for people. And it really just started kind of building out from there. And I was like, I really enjoy, again, that trade-off of, yeah, I can go to work and make more money per hour. But I get way more satisfaction out of seeing like a customer's reaction to a finished product.
1: Mm. And, and you're almost back in that same boat of now applying a, a separate funnel here where at work you were like, okay, obviously there's some hours here whether it's because I no longer have time with family friends, etc doesn't make sense to be working these hours and then the government's going to take X percent of mm-hmm. the tax you know you kind of filter out okay what are the hours that are worth doing and now over here it's almost the same the same bucket you start filling the hopper with projects it's like, well, you know initially, okay, fine, I can do all of these. But then eventually it's almost like, well, how do I decide
0: which projects are a fit and which ones aren't? Right. Yeah, it took a little bit to kind of figure that out. You know, every time I got a project, I would have to have that conversation with the wife about scheduling and, you know, making sure that the customer was able to respect what type of schedule that I operate around being, you know, I have a full-time job. I wouldn't be on job sites till two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I'm leaving five or six. On the weekends, you know, I typically like Saturdays off, so I like to work Sundays. You know, and I can always adjust as need be. But, uh, you know, it I had to really figure that out. It took a little while. You know, what was worth committing to? What was worth, you know, my time? You know, can I commit? If not, can I refer it out? Right. Um. And so
1: now that's kind of where you're at with that, right? You're kind of just taking things on as as they make sense and yeah. and doing things in that way so it's yeah. almost like the um i guess i don't know the the third leg to the <laughs> this, this stu- <laughs> the stool that we're building you have like you know the boeing the main income and you have mm-hmm. you know the some of the flip stuff some of the remodeling stuff and maybe it was branch off into any other stool legs
0: <laughs> that, that's, yeah. I ended up with a lot of legs um you know the stock market has always been my most financial success that I've had, the stock market. Um, learning that and being able to manage that type of stress that any anybody it knows that the stock market can draw on you is uh, mm. an interesting place to be. <laughs> so
1: let, let's kind of um, maybe take a step back here. What 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 was the entry point for you? I mean, it sounds like this came back to that initial conversation, or at least in your head, that, that turning point around, like what you said, like 20 early twenties, I guess it was when you you were like, Hey, you know, I had this, I'm over here almost dying at work and (laughs) they're taking all of it in taxes. (laughs) And then that almost moves into this area of, okay, well, how do I stop paying taxes? And also
0: what are more efficient ways to do what I want to do? Yeah. So stock market started at 18 when I started at Boeing, um, investing in my 401k. At the time, they were only meeting, I think, like 4% match or something like that. But again, an old timer is like, hey, just meet the match and that's it. That's all you got to do. You know, they're giving you free money. And I've since then educated myself on the 401ks. Um, but I started, you know, my IRAs and HSAs and learning how to trade personally, uh, probably around like 22, maybe sort of dabbling in penny stocks. I think it was, uh, was named Timothy Sykes or something. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, the front runner of the penny stock world there, you know, look at this success, multimillionaire. And of course, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a TV advertisement. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to give it a shot. And I lost a ton of money. Yeah. You know, I had no idea what I was doing, looking at charts and analytics and this and that. I had no idea. Lost a ton of money. And then I was like, okay, what's my, what's my learning experience from this? What do I do? So I just learned and learned and learned and learned. And eventually, you know, I, I, I was paper trading for like a, almost a year. And eventually I was like, okay, I saved up, I think like $12,000 that I was willing to lose. And I put it in the stock market. And I think it was like uh, Warren Buffett or something at the time. He was just giving like a presentation. And he was just like, you know, you just got to look around you at like what you use every day. Who makes the products? Because if you're using it, that means there's millions of others using it, most likely. So it was like, okay, I have Nike shoes. You know, I have whatever, Adidas sweatshirt. And I started looking into them companies and just dropping money into them. And then when they would ultimately curve down, I would be like, oh, what's going on? You know, and panic sell and all that. But it took till I was about 25 to really, really get a grasp on the stock market took A lot of years, and then since then till now, you know, I've been very successful with the stock market. So, um,
1: what was that piece for you? So, now you're, we're building this stool, building this thing, and kind of maybe describe a picture of how you know these different pieces move together, and I guess some of the you know the, the flexibility that that allows for, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, it's like anybody who either it's looking to start a business, whether that's more, you know, passion derived, like I want to do this because I really like this. There is there is a certain element of freedom that comes with that. Yeah. Um. And so maybe describe how you know, having one entrepreneurial venture and then maybe having several different pieces that weave together and how those inner workings between them can, um, I guess turbocharge the full picture. It's like, hey, I have something over here. Wow, this other piece of the stool is funding this one. You know what I mean? So talk about that a little bit.
0: So I think something that I've started really diving down onto in the past maybe three or four years was that every bill that comes in and we could call a bill like a cell phone bill, a mortgage payment, a car payment, whatever. I like to take my supplemental income from real estate or stock market or side projects and designate it to a bill. So, you know, I've designated my mortgage is being paid through, you know, my, uh, my trading. And, you know, my utilities are being paid for through my real estate. And again, this drives back all the way from the beginning of the conversation that if Boeing closed its doors tomorrow, you know, it would, you know, it would suck financially in the short term but my W-2 is currently not paying any of my bills. And that's kind of what mm-hmm. it took years to get there. But everything it goes forward, like, you know, I got to get a hot water heater probably this upcoming year. So I'm going to go out and figure out how to make, you know, two $3,000 to pay for that. Whether it's through making some high-risk trades or whether it's, you know, more real estate, side jobs, something. I've just kind of like to designate outside of my W-2. To certain things,
1: so that gives you the freedom then to take whatever you're making on your W two mm-hmm. and just put that away and use that for whatever else. Yeah, it, it, it's an excess of whatever your bills are.
0: Yeah, so the W two has just become I call it my financial crutch, mm. and a lot of my mentors, you know, they all end up going there in the same way. They're like, just use Boeing as the financial crutch because that's what's going to get you your loans. That's what's going to get you you know, more mortgages or whatever. Um, And it's good, obviously, to always have a fallback. But my income, which is predictable through my W-2, I can designate early on for whatever it may be, whether it's max funding my Roth, max funding the 401k, you know, maybe I'm going to pay a certain bill down, whatever. But it's that's the predictable income, where the other side is unpredictable because I know you know, in trading stocks this year, I've become way more successful or I've doubled, you know, what I did last year. So that really became unpredictable because you don't know, you know, how well am I going to perform in the markets? Right. And side jobs again, because I don't really advertise, you know, it's all word of mouth. Um, but I can say that I'll have a few through the year that will cover what I need them to cover. And, uh, the real estate, I just started injecting money into like marketing to pick up, you know, more off market properties or something like that. Yeah. Um,
1: so for you, what's, what's part of that decision-making process? So if you are, um, obviously if you have several different avenues to go, what's that different, what's that decision-making process for you? we like, okay, I think now's the time for a little bit of capital to go here. Or here, or here. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of you take a look at each different piece and it's like, well, this is doing well, but I really haven't given it any juice yet. Maybe now's the time to start doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have to see, I need feedback response from what I'm doing. So if I'm, you know, watching the markets and I'm watching, you know, sector rotations or, you know, the dollar bond markets, you know, what's going on with the war, so on you know, I, I need feedback in what I'm risking. So if I'm putting, you know, 50,000 into a market and it's just sitting flat, I might not inject any more money into the market until I see feedback. Mm. Um, and that could be like, hey, the war is coming to an end or hey, the dollar's weakening, something like that. In real estate, the same thing, you know, if I'm injecting $1,000 a month and I'm not getting nothing in return, you know, is the answer to go to $2,000 a month? Most likely not. I'm going to, stay at a thousand and I'm going to figure out where I'm going wrong. So it really, it comes down to what type of, you know, reward, if you want to call it feedback uh, of my risk or marketing costs is out there.
1: Yeah. And I guess the, the the support or the buttressing of these different pieces together really helps to, I don't know, I guess part of that, that peace of mind that there's something that will could cover a loss if something does happen. Mm-hmm. And even on your side with a W W two, I mean, I think that's part of the reason most people um, who have just a W-2 from from th- their, their job, it's like, well, okay, I have this coming in, but I also, I can't quite designate it to where it has to go, maybe for, for savings purposes, because they have other variable expenses. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it becomes very hard for them to be like, okay, this has to go here, but when every other expense is already covered by an outside income source, and it's mm. like, well, this is free and clear. And I can be more, much more flexible, much more, um, I guess, intentional with how I use it.
0: Yeah, you you have to be intentional with your money. Your 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 dollars must have a purpose. They need to go somewhere. And a lot of people that do ask me for financial, you know, support or financial advice of some nature, you know, I I always start them out with like Dave Ramsey. Like you need to go there. You need to figure out, you know, how to budget, and I can help you with that. You need to figure out where you're overspending. You know, you need to stop racking up debt or whatever, because a lot of these people, they just are working just to pay bills and it shouldn't be that way. You know, you should feel like, you know, you're, you're being held down. You have to go to work to, uh, you know, just to survive. So, you know, your dollar does need a designation at the end point, whether it is to retirement, whether it is to debt you know, buying food or whatever, it it needs a purpose. So I think a lot of, a lot of people don't educate themselves with that. It's almost like this, like self-defeating loop as well, because mm-hmm. it's like
1: when you do find yourself in that position, when it's like, okay, income is going directly to bills. You're in this loop of, have to work, 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 yep. which means you have less time to actually reflect on, okay, how is this money actually being spent?
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I it mean? Exactly. Like
1: people get stuck it's like this spot where it's like, okay, uh, you know, how do I, how yeah, do I got
0: to work, got to work, got to work, right. got to work.
1: Meanwhile, it's like, well, you could be losing so much shit on the back end through your Comcast cable bill, but you don't have the time <laughs> to call them up and get it back. You know what, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, and, absolutely. And that's like real money. That's like after-tax dollars that you're using to pay that. So yeah. it's like, granted, yeah, you, maybe your cable bill's like uh 300 bucks, but it's like, well, maybe you had to make, you know, four fifty to pay that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Um, people do get stuck. They don't understand. And I think our schooling does a terrible job in educating financially. Um, you know, you don't have to work yourself to death, you know, but if you are doing it in the short term to get out of a hole, but you've built the discipline to, you know, cut the credit cards or stop overspending or, you know, get out of the high car payments, stop buying $70,000 cars then you know there is light at the end of the tunnel but you need to coincide with the financial discipline on that that side of things what are some of the biggest pieces that you've seen that provide maybe it's a, a friend or someone who's asked
1: you for something what's what's been the the biggest um change driver for those people
0: um things got to break hmm. You know, and I'm I'm a true believer of this, that nobody changes without breaking. And it it doesn't even start at finances. It could be anything. It could be a mental break. It could be something in your relationship or at home or at work, you know, and I'm quitting my job, but a lot of change, like I, I know that I've had conversations with people about restructuring their budget or their financial situation. And I sit down with them and I go, okay, here's your income, here's your bills, like, and I'll red circle a few things like maybe you need to manage these a little better, you know, like you're not saving for retirement, you're not saving money at all, you're paying a thousand dollars a month towards credit card interest. You know, we can see here what your problem is. That usually is just the beginning. There's people that have come back to me a year and a half later and be like, that's it. I'm done. Like I'm at my wits end. I can't survive. You know, I need to change something. Well, you know, if you changed when I sat down with you, you wouldn't be at my feet again going, Hey, what do I got to do? I told you what you had to do, Mm -hmm. you know, but now your conditions are even worse. You decided to keep, you know, going into the storm out in the ocean and now you're stuck. So when you had a chance to turn around and go back to shore, you didn't You right. chose to kept going. And I see that all too often. People need to break to decidingly I got to fix things. And that's it. It really, really sucks that it needs to go down that far sometimes. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a heavy conversation
1: sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the piece I want to come back to is is this kind of this this freedom mentality because when you're in a position like that, it's like p- people basically are are pretty simple creatures. Um, they're, they're complicated, but for the purpose of this conversation, mm-hmm. some of the things we're talking about, it's pretty simple. It's like at the end of the day, most people, it's pretty simple what they want and they tend to overcomplicate it. So it's like, well, maybe I just want to feel fine, whatever that means. I want to have enough stuff to cover anything going out Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to sit in the backyard and and drink some beer sometimes. You know, for, for most people, that's kind of like if they have that, like I'm okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like all these um extra pieces, like like a seventy thousand dollar car yeah. or stuff like that. It's like, well, you know. And again, I actually listened to a very interesting conversation with this entrepreneur, and she's talking about like you know, she's almost a billionaire now. So it's kind of a different <laughs> scope of, <laughs> of, uh, uh, stratus of wealth, but she's talking about, you know, you see all of this stuff with these people buying boats and planes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And people think, Oh, well, you know, they're just blowing money cause they have so much when in fact, I think most of the time, not all the time, but I think more often than people think, A lot of that is because it's just more efficient to do that. Yeah. So it's like, I'm buying this boat, yes, but I have a a good CPA, I have a good tax team. And because of that, I get a huge deduction for Mm -hmm. it. And it's not just sitting there, I'm also chartering it out, which pays for all the maintenance and everything else. So I basically have this boat for free and it gave me a huge deduction this year. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's also a mindset shift for people is, you know, they're not just, the wealthy don't just do these things to do them. There's kind of something, yeah, something, some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to speak. Sorry, something. But uh, but I think I think there's could be in more instances than we think some thought behind it.
0: Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, all too often you see people, you know, a lot of these like gurus that go on are like, oh, I'm buying a plane, you know, and that seems to be the, the flavor of like the past couple of years is oh, we got to buy a plane because. You know, my tax guy said so, and because they pushed through this tax code that allows you to depreciate it, you know, 50% across five years, you right. know, that is very lucrative in their income basis. Right. And, you know, Hey, section 179, you need to buy a 6,000 pound SUV too. And they do them things every year because of tax purposes. Right. And because they want to spend money too. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want to buy a plane or a brand new right. car every year?
1: I th- I think where that it was almost like a weird trickle down piece though, where I think that, um, I don't know these these you know, people who start to get into that realm of wealth who haven't experienced that, you know, mm-hmm. they could be tempted to be like, oh, I have to do this because just because, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. where things can start to go sideways. It's like, well, you know, I don't know if you need a seventy thousand dollar truck just because you know you got a, a raise at work. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean the the more you make, the more you spend is a very true statement. And I think everybody is a victim of that to an extent. Sure. Um, But they don't really reflect on like, okay, if I make $80,000 and I got a $10,000 raise, you know, how much does that really pan out to in a monthly basis? But, you know, does that coincide with just the rate of inflation? I think this is where people get away in terms of like a monthly income. And I don't want to talk about our rapid inflation currently, but let's just say that we've, We've kept the same over the past years, two, three percent. If they're only getting a two or three percent raise or less and they're spending more, you know, because right. they think they make ten thousand more a year and really it's just keeping up with inflation, they ultimately in the long term will end up upside down and they're probably already a creature of overspending.
1: Right. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing where I think, you know the the, the raise conversation, you know, I've again i'm I'm not really much for the the corporate world, so I don't really experienced that you know, oh, this year you get this raise, et cetera. But I think a lot of people it's like a it's like a nice pat on the back, but then it's like, well, what am I actually getting? <laughs> you know what, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. um and some people just think like, oh great, I'm getting a raise. you know I'm but really it's it's just corporate America just adjusting the market value for you you know, a raise is, is based around performance. And a lot of people don't reflect on that. They're just like, Oh, great. You know, I got my 2% yearly raise. Like if that is offered to you at the table, that is not because they value you as an individual. That is Mm. just because that is how market value is telling corporate America to position their positions, you know, to, to pay people to, to come in. If you're offered a quarterly performance or, you know, six months or a yearly review where you can raise your worth within the company, you know, a few more percent over your yearly, then that's, you know, that's good. That's where you want to be because then the company is valuing you as an individual, as a performance, which then coincides with making you feel like going above and beyond and your job is worth it, where a lot of jobs are just like, oh, here's your 2%, here's your 3%. Right. But the guy next to you that barely performed, got the same raise because it's written into their contracts. Right. So that's where you kind of, you got to watch that.
1: Yeah, I think, so let's talk about the, the stool again. So for, for the average person, you know, what would you kind of outline as a good way to add a piece to their
0: proverbial stool? Um, I think it always starts out with what do you find yourself doing the most, you know, when you have a little bit of free time or what, what consumes your mind? Cause we know it not work all the time, you know, right. maybe it's family a little bit, but outside of that, is it, you know, woodworking? Is it, you know, craft beers? Is it brewing? Is it, you know, maybe you like shoes, maybe you could turn into like a resale market there. You know, what interests you the most that you can turn a hobby into a break-even point Where it's like, okay, I can get, I have a shoe or a hat collection, but Mm -hmm. if I am able to turn over, you know, a few wholesale shoes in a month, you know, it enables me to buy, you know, keeps my hobby afloat for break even at minimum. So it doesn't become an expenditure on your income. Exactly. Or you can turn it into, you know, another income potentially, but it all has to start from something, you know what interests you don't just go on TikTok or YouTube and think you could just jump into Airbnbs and flipping houses and, you know, Amazon FBA. It's like, you got to have a general (laughs) interest or if not the shiny object goes away fast.
1: Yeah. And then when there is a a hard time as there probably inevitably will be with any industry, anything that you start, Mm -hmm. you tend to flame out pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. And it's like, so it's like if you had a natural background in real estate, and it's like, well, okay. And then Airbnb comes on the scene. And it's like, okay, well, maybe this is, I mean, this is a fit. You know what I mean? Or yeah. you know, you had a property management company that did more traditional stuff. Oh, well, maybe we'll tack on some of the Airbnb type type work. So it's almost like this, it's almost like this cross section or this overlap or this Venn diagram of what interests me, because that'll keep you in the game no mm-hmm. matter what. And then it's like, is this actually tenable? Yeah. Is this profitable? Is this something that I could work on? Or even like you're saying, on some of the the side stuff, how can I just make it wipe out some expenditure that I'm doing? Yeah. It's like, okay, well, maybe I love craft beer. So I do whatever I I, I brew or whatever to earn some side money there or I do marketing or something for them. But mm-hmm. maybe that funds my love of craft beer. And I now, the, the beer I do purchase doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it
0: doesn't always have to be a derived income, like you can find something to coincide and break even or even make, you know, call beer money, you know, you can make a few bucks. Um, I think that in itself just helps a ton, you know, limiting your stress on your W2, you know, maybe you're a one income household, maybe not, you know, but just being able to capture that could help tremendously. Do you think a big piece of this equation of, of, you know, why people might be
1: less entrepreneurial or might um, not even think that it's a possibility for them is just due to some fuzzy vagueness of actually understanding what it is they have going on. Like, like if you don't understand completely, okay, here's what I'm making with in, within the household, here's what I'm paying away in tax or whatever, here are my expenditures, and here's what's left. Mm-hmm. I don't know that number. it's kind of becomes very hard to understand how to move forward from there, or can I even try something on the
0: side? Yeah, I mean, you you definitely have to know that number. You have to have control and visibility over your expenditures, your income, you know, where your money's going. Because I mean, we all know a lot of people that just are paycheck to paycheck, and it's money in, money out, money in, money out, and ultimately they're either break even or negative in the month and that's where credit card debt and personal loans and payday loans end up you know eating them alive in the long term and you know i I always tell everybody um that i can i have a lot of new guys at work over the past couple years that are young in their 20s and i'm like look i'm telling you because somebody told me do this do this this and this and you'll be successful you know and success can be defined in in any multiple ways but um, my definition of it is pretty pretty small compared to most. So what is that definition? Well, I think it's evolved over the years. You know, If I was 21 years old, I'm looking at, hey, I want a 20-room house and I want multi-million dollar bank accounts and a Lambo, right? So that is like what I would say, can we say social media has portrayed on people as the definition of success? But really I think it comes down to what you yourself define as success. And as I made it into my later 20s, my definition has changed where you know, I didn't want a 20 room house. Really what I wanted was funded retirements and no car payments. And that is as a whole, you know, has has come about, so it's like I can say to me personally I have succeeded. My definition of success, you know, and Mm -hmm. that kind of all comes together as like, you know, is my wife okay? Happy. Family's happy, healthy. You know, friends are happy and healthy. And, you know, you can branch as far as you want, but that's what I kind of defined as success over the years.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's true for, for most people. It's like this understanding of success kind of, um, almost gets chiseled away at as you get older and older. It's like, I feel like when you're, you know, 60, 70, 80, that definition is going to get simpler and simpler.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't want to be sitting on a beach worrying that I took the day off and it's financially going to ruin me. And, you know, I, I, I've seen it all too much or it's like the guy is the breadwinner, you know, maybe the wife's at home, they got a couple kids, are financially strapped, but they have to fit in their family vacation in a year. And it's like you can see and feel the stress, mm. you know, on them. And, you know, I just chose not to go down that route by educating myself financially.
1: Yeah. Cause I where I, I was, um, it was something old dude being interviewed. I, I, don't, I think it was some, some random person, like some channel and you know his ideal success was just basically waking up going for a walk and like seeing his granddaughter you know what i mean it becomes like this almost like this i don't know i I think it goes back to some of the earlier conversation about how simple some people are as far as what they actually want and just gets complicated by frills and regulation and government etc you know all this stuff just leads to um complication but again i think for 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 me for me at least i've spoken about this with several people, but one of my mantras for the new year is going to be clarity, clarity, simplicity, and kind of understand mm-hmm. what the picture is, what I'm trying to accomplish. And then, you know, that, that idea of really saying, saying no and yes, opportunistically where, where it makes sense. So it's like, we had that conversation before about saying no to things yeah, because how important that is to, to yeah. guard certain pieces of your time. But then, you know, it's, I think it's equally as important to also say yes on things that aren't a surefire win either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like take a chance on saying, yes, this is a good thing for me to do, even though there may not be any direct impact on me necessarily right away. Yeah. I'm going to do this because I think it's a good thing, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I find myself, you know, from that conversation, I know it was very brief, Um, you know, what what am I saying? No to, hmm. you know, like I, I'm fine with helping people and I help a lot of people, but sometimes where it's like, you get put on the line, third party, that's where I'm like, no, you know, most likely not like, you know, Hey, Tom, you can do this, you know, he'll help you out. It's like somebody else has committed my time elsewhere. That's where I start. Uh. Drawing the lines like, no, you don't get to dictate my schedule. You didn't even ask me, or maybe you did, or you didn't even, you know, I'm not giving up my Saturday to do that. Right. You know, and it's not always about the money and it, it's not, um, I just don't like people committing my time when I haven't committed to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a bit presumptuous. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, you know, it was like the one, it's like, oh, time will help you move. I'm like, how about I just give you $200 to hire a mover? How about I just give you somebody and I'll pay for him to come over, right? Because you know I have respectfully something else to do. Like I, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's kind of like that. It's like I don't want to move a house. Like I want to pay somebody to do that, <laughs> right?
1: The um, another thing I want to touch on here, which we've talked about in the past as well, is um, processes and procedures. And I think a lot of stuff in the entrepreneurial space. In businesses, um, that's where people tend to, to go wrong, or at least where they could simplify things. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about having a lot of these internal conversations right now with myself about, you know, you have a problem, you put a procedure or a process, or a system in place. And that problem kind of goes away. Right. And, and that's basically what happens with any type of business ownership or entrepreneurship, you're kind of just tinkering all the time. It's like, what problems do I have? And how do I slowly make those go away? And yeah. pretty, pretty soon, you might have a couple of problems but for the most part it's kind of just running you know what i mean mm-hmm. and you have to do some maintenance here and there but like um let's talk about processes for a second or or yeah. there are processes that you've put in place in in creating your picture
0: uh so when it comes to like real estate um you know my some of my processes whether it's filtering through the mls uh touch and base of wholesalers checking the market conditions you know what's everything doing that is pretty cut and dry. That is pretty repeatable in my daily life or weekly that it's not really intervening. Now, as I start injecting money to kind of scale up in real estate this upcoming year, um, I'm starting to build out processes and procedures where you know I'm potentially hiring somebody to do a lot of time-consuming work that I just don't have time for. I can lay out, you know, what I want them to do. I can, you know, quality check them as needed, but ultimately I'm paying somebody to do the things that I just don't have time to do that I used to do because, you know, I'm I'm stretching my time elsewhere now. And, you know, when it comes to the stock market trading, unfortunately, you know, I have to be the driver of that seat. I have to check market rotations and industries and all that in as a whole to make decisions on where I'm placing bets, mm-hmm. essentially. So, you know, that I can't really have anybody help with, but real estate, yes, I can have help with that, that they're hiring somebody to kind of scour through that a little bit.
1: Yeah. On, on on my end, the process stuff, it's really like, I think it's like, to, to your point, like you hit it on the head where find some of the things that are most time consuming. And is it something that I have to be doing, or is it something that uh, a service or a an app or something else can do? Mm -hmm. So I'm no longer spending that time. It's almost like it's almost like you're 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 in this process building um, world. You're almost just basically putting in processes to buy back time. Is really what what seems what the trade is. Yeah. Um. And. I found over the years, it's like there's been things that I haven't been quite able to to offload, and I find those those sticking points are are some of the most frustrating because you're like mm-hmm. I I know this has to be, I need to free up this time, yeah. But right now, there's not a clear path for how to offload this. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think um, kind of what started with me uh, is when I changed my schedule and I was like, okay, I have you know, three and a half hours until I got to start cooking dinner, right? And then the wife gets home in 40 minutes from there. So like timing that out, you know, I had to figure out what was consuming the most time in that minimum time window of my day. So when it was, hey, I'm following up or I'm going through a list of 3,000 properties, you know, and ultimately coming down to a list of a hundred and then I'm deep diving into a hundred and then a hundred turns into you know twenty, you know that process took multiple days. And before I know it, by the end of the week, even less, you know I have another list of three thousand properties to go through. So that's where I'm like, okay, if I only have to go through my hundred list twice a week, then, you know, I can really, really apply that to making better quality decisions, whether it's market related or whether it's real estate related. Right. Um, so that's where I started leaning into, you know, I picked up a real estate mentor and we kind of started building out processes and introducing, um, you know, like Upwork and VAs to do a lot of this, call it lighter lifting stuff that just takes a lot of time So that's where, uh, next year we should be standing up something like that. Cool. Well, what were some of those processes in on the real
1: estate side that you offloaded?
0: So it's like, um, you know, you run your searches that meet your buy boxes and it might come out with 3000 properties across all your zip codes that you're looking to buy in from there, you know, I got to verify a few things, you know? Mm -hmm. does it meet my criteria in terms of, is it free and clear? Is it senior owned? Is it tired landlord? Like where does that property tick? So then it has to be thrown into an Excel sheet, verified what its condition is. What's its condition from like Google maps, Mm -hmm. um, which I recently picked up a AI driven kind of distress property program. So it helps me verify some of these things a little quicker, but not, not as effective as like visually seeing the property or like seeing a more recent photo right um so you have to check these boxes you know verifying that it's you know say a 3 bed 1 bath verifying it's 1200 square foot uh verifying the address the condition outstanding mortgage what's the area doing what's the comps you know what could the offer be you know all that has to be done before i ultimately check it as like, okay, I'm going to make a phone call or I'm going to send a mailer to this person potentially looking to buy their house. So if I can eliminate even half of that, that will help a lot on my time side.
1: Yeah. No, this has been good. I, th- I think, again, part of it for everybody is really just to, I don't know, dial in the pieces that are superfluous to the picture, track on the things that you have to be on top of, and then really just try to buy back time with whatever, um, whatever you can. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's also, uh, you know, before we kind of jump off here, there's uh, I did want to touch base real quick on, um, you know, maybe some of the stuff we talked about recently as far as the other factors that that tie into, um, I guess, the way this whole picture operates. It's like you know you mentioned before about working the long hours Mm -hmm. and you got to be careful not to cut your legs out from underneath you you know what i mean so trying to also stay in um you know tip-top shape mentally physically etc so that you can continue to do x y and z yeah um so maybe let's just talk chat briefly about things that you know either you or i have kind of put in place to help with that Mm -hmm. um and maybe going into the new year things that you are looking to change that um you think might help in that endeavor or kind of help to round out the picture.
0: Yeah. Um, So definitely put a check on like your mental health, your sleeping conditions, um, your eating habits, you know, can you get to the gym? Not. So I know like sleep became a big issue of mine kind of in an, uh, I think it was like late September, picked up my whoop strap, started monitoring things, realized like, okay. I feel like crap during the day, because I lack sleep. So once I started correcting my sleep by moving my work hours around working less overtime, I realized that my quality during the day, mentally, physically, just tremendously changed. Hmm. So, you know, here I am, and we were having this conversation about, you know, I found a spot that I can't have too many hours of sleep and some might say, well, you you know, you could always eight hours of sleep is prime. Right. But really I found that six to six and a half, six forty five 645 hours of sleep is prime for me to operate because mm-hmm. if I'm oversleeping, you know, I get like tired again. Like I, I wake up tired from oversleeping, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so dialing that in, getting that set, um, having a repeatable sleep, you know, getting to bed, say like 8 30 every night. I just set my alarm to one time. You know, I'm not up multiple time frames during the week like I used to be. It used to be like 320 and 350. It's 350 across the board now. I'm no longer waking up at 320, you know, two days, 350, three days. So
1: yeah. And that's part of the simplicity thing too is like people I've tried this before where you try to put in a system that's so granular and it's like oh every day is slightly different and you know yeah. it's like it's like well you know it's it's not it's not sustainable it might be for a month mm-hmm. you know what i mean but beyond that it becomes extremely hard to keep things but if you can kind of simplify things and say oh, this is what i do every day like for me what i've been trying to really dial in is like my pre-bed routine mm-hmm. and to get really into that stage because i get to a certain point sometimes and it's like you know i you know my mind is kind of is like all over the place. It's kind of like (laughs) thinking of things or what, what what about this? You know what I mean? And it's like, I need, I need like that little runway to kind of be like, okay, let's kind of land before we, you know, try to jump into bed. And, you know, so I find that, you know, going to the gym at some point during the day Mm -hmm. definitely helps with that. Um, Reading a little bit before bed helps with that to kind of come down to the space where I'm like completely distracted by whatever it is, some, I'm engrossed in some novel or, you know what I mean? Or I'm reading, Mm -hmm. I like reading like fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. So it's like bringing you in, putting your mind in a totally different framework where you're just kind of, you know, and I used to do that before bed. I used to like, oh, well, I'll just close this book now and I'll just keep dreaming about it. You know know what I mean? But it's like, uh, the hardest part is really trying to stay as consistent as you can. But a lot of the reason why consistency falls out sometimes is because there's, you you haven't defined your ability yet to, to to say yes or no to certain things. Yeah. And so it's like, Oh, well this person invited me out on this Tuesday night. I usually don't go out until I go to bed. It's like, Oh, well now my whole schedule for us to go to bed. Yeah. Right. Now (laughs) it's thrown off the rest of the week because it's like, I, I didn't quite say no to this person. And it's like that. That has to change because it's like once you can say no and keep your stuff in order. Again, you know, there's caveats to all this stuff. You know what I mean? It's not like oh, it's you know your best friend's birthday. Sorry, you know, you really, really can't. You know, you know what I mean? It's like there's give and take there. But I think by and large, people haven't at least defined enough. Where's that line between what's important and what isn't? Mm -hmm. You know, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. There was um definitely a few times that, you know, it was like, Oh, you have to go do this or do that. Like, I want to go to bed. Like, you know, it's whatever, eight forty-five. like I'm ready to go to bed. And I just, I, I liked staying strict on that because yeah. I know that the result of me going to bed late, I know what tomorrow is going to be like. And yeah. I just choose not to perform that way. Yeah. And like you're saying there's, there's going to be times like, you know, Want to stay up and watch a movie, I'll try my best, but <laughs> no guarantees. <laughs> no guarantees, you know. Uh you know, I've always said like have the wife carry you to bed. <laughs> first five minutes, I'm usually asleep in a movie. Really? Let me sleep for five minutes because then I can stay up for the remainder of the movie. Like I have to <laughs> it's like I have to take that little cat nap. Or if not, it, it's like
1: <laughs> it's so bizarre, dude. I don't know what it is. I, I just find myself engrossed sometimes with some of these uh i don't with with film in general and so sometimes when a movie comes on it's like i could have been like ready ready for bed and all of a sudden i'm just like i'm there i'm there again just
0: (laughs) i'm not much of a tv person at all i tv not for me i i do like a good movie i mean like anything it comes on the tv movies yeah series or anything like if you want to watch it you have to watch it in my operational hours or i'm going to sleep
1: (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, I, I, you know, that's something for me is really trying to just dial some of those processes in and um I don't know, that that yes no mentality of just being like, This works, this doesn't, and this is why.
0: You yeah, know? you you gotta be able to have control of that. You know, the everybody has to have control over something, some parts of your life. If not, you're just being you're gonna be running into the ground. Yeah. You need to have control or there's no end game. It's not, it's a, it's a game of cat and mouse Yeah. until you get tired and you don't want that. You know, yeah. you don't want to be 50 year old with, you know, two or three kids that are teenagers or whatever, and you just can't run anymore or do anything. Like you're just wearing yourself into the ground. You know, you, you gotta have definition of what your achievements are that you're looking forward to be at.
1: Yeah. Like perfect example is, is, uh, New Year's Eve coming up. Hmm. And I've never been big on it. Just it's just it to me it's the most anticlimactic, quote unquote,
0: holiday in the world. Asleep at like one twenty-five or whatever, twelve twenty-five when a fireworks stop going off in a neighborhood.
1: It's like, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like I people get so, you know, into it. I'm like, I, I just don't
0: no it's not my I, thing
1: i don't i don't really get it you know, I. i i i get it. it's, it's it's all depends how you do it like i'm also mm-hmm. cool with like well let's just play last year's at 10 and go to bed you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> like yeah um and uh i don't know i don't know but that's one for me that i've been thinking about recently because i've gone back and forth with oh well what if somebody you know should i go out should i not it's like well no it's it, for it just for days now as you get older the the, the recovery <laughs> period becomes like exponentially longer
0: yeah yeah, my uh, one of my market mentors, you know, he had like a birthday last week or something. He drank on a Tuesday and he was like, I do not drink during the week, like because I know how it's going to be. And he drank. And for three days, we heard him bitch every morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe I still feel like crap, you know, and he's only yeah. like 34, 35 years old. But, you know, yeah, I'm like, you know, you know me, I've given up drinking as a whole. You know, not that I won't have a shot or a drink every now and again, but I do not care to drink at all anymore because I know that it just hinders my performance the next day so much where it's like you're on the couch till 2 in the afternoon and I'm not Yeah, not good with that. Careful. You're on the
1: Leverage and Beverage podcast here, so, you know, be careful with that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I hear you. You know, I've also defined, you know, what does that mean to me? It's like I've – some people think that, like, you know, um, drinking – like the the per what what you think in their head what the purpose of drinking is mm-hmm. and it's almost like to get to this point where it's like oh I think I'm having fun yeah but in reality it's like that's not why I drink I drink because I, I enjoy the beverage obviously yeah. there's a nice byproduct of having a little that's bit, right everything you know,
0: you've brought me I'm like okay you know I'll try yeah. it. it ain't like I'm um, anti alcohol it's just right. I just choose not to drink
1: it's also a quality thing it's like I like drinking quality stuff mm-hmm. and so if you you drink better quality stuff and less of it. I, I found much better results with that i, I feel yep. better it tastes better it's more enjoyable mm-hmm. and it's like why, why would I why would I switch that up you know what I mean yeah um all right cool man well thanks for coming on I have a, a quick question round here for us at the end before we we jump <laughs> off but uh um just you know your initial knee-jerk reaction to um things that have impacted you so um what is the coolest thing that you've seen lately
0: the coolest thing I've seen lately hmm
1: could be gadget, tool, whatever.
0: So we've been playing Story. with these yeah. um, augmented reality goggles at work mm. that are pretty, pretty wild to me. Um, I know this is nothing new, but in the aerospace world, you know, it's been really awesome to deal with. Um, so that's definitely something on the more recent end, mm. but uh Yeah, I would say that. I would say the augmented reality as a whole is just really interesting to me. I know a lot of people are on like the AI kicks, but I think augmented reality, especially if like the new, um, what are they? The Zuckerberg just came out from the Oculus. Oculus? Yeah. So you have the new Oculus that have augmented reality. You know, you can turn your actual house into a video game now. I think that's awesome. Hmm. Because you can use it for like workspace and things like that too. Interesting.
1: Yeah. The, uh, I always think the, you know, there's been so much AI talk over the past couple of years, but I think the augmented has much more of a practical application.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I really am not a big AI. Well, it's like, I asked the question this morning. It told me no, like it wouldn't answer the question. Like I was trying to pull data about something and it was just like, nope, can't answer that. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) <laughs> like, okay. Thanks what, for your what, help. What good are you?
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it's um, I don't know. I th- I think that it's almost like if we were to look all the way down, it's like, oh, this AI is so great. It's mm. it's it would be real life what we're actually doing. It's like, well, why would I supplement a second tier real life for what I'm doing now? You know what I mean? It doesn't.
0: Well, to me and you, it seems to be the case. But I mean, there's people that live. Oh, we yeah. Kind of uh, reality yeah. yeah you know we got people that might not ever leave their house that just want to live in them goggles because it creates the world that they want to live in mm. so to them it might be satisfying to me and you we're like okay we use it for application-based purposes and then we leave right but you know there's people out there that that would probably live in that world yeah no
1: i believe there are i uh i don't know <laughs> we'll uh, we'll for another day. <laughs> um, what tools do you use that um you couldn't live without?
0: Hmm. Definitely my phone. Need that. I mean, I live on my computer and my phone. I don't know how I could operate without them. I can live without them for the short term, but mm-hmm. anything that I do on a daily basis revolves around them too. Hmm. And they need to. They need to exist. Yeah. Um, I wish there was better tools, you know, that I can bring up. But I mean, I think it's quite obvious, you know, people function around technology. Yeah. And yeah. today's world is built around technology and it's four folding. So yeah, that's probably it. Cool.
1: Um, what are the most transformational changes you're looking to make in the next ninety days? And that can be either personal or or, or business.
0: Um, personal, definitely got to clean up my diet after the holiday. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people will go on that. Yeah. New year's resolution health. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely back to the gym.
1: Wait till you see the gym next week, dude.
0: Oh man. I can't <laughs> wait. You know, we have the Boeing gym, but they made it free in 23. So I'm hoping it costs money again in 24. Oh, uh, because it was just like. Oh, it was mobbed. There were so many people there, you know, and it's only $8 a month. Yeah. It's a full gym for $8 a month. And like, you know, it kind of goes against what I was just saying, but like people won't pay the $8 a month to go to a full gym, you know? Right. They'd rather go pay the $40 a month at LA Fitness or something. It's like, you know, your employer is giving you a free full gym the year one people didn't take advantage of the free but it was enough to convince me not to go because it was just way too overpacked. right so i'm hoping they bring back the eight dollars a month so i can you know move freely through the gym again <laughs> yeah because <laughs> nobody showed up when it was eight dollars a month <laughs> um
1: and then what advice would you give to any entrepreneur or somebody else um either looking to create their proverbial stool or you know, uh, a side piece to whatever they're, they're doing.
0: Well, you definitely have to identify what is your niche? What is your interest? Where is something that you feel you can apply value into the market somewhere? And sometimes that takes a little bit because we all go through cycles of life that might alter what we think is our current shiny object. Right. You know, I'm a victim of that very much. Um, I've had these conversations before. The two things that I truly come back to is real estate and the market mm. and many other niches that I've tried, you know, whether I was successful or not, they just kind of come and go. Mm. So people that are looking to, you know, create another income or maybe just break even on their hobbies, you know, you have to identify them and convict to them and, you know, find that time frame whether it's weekly monthly or whatever to devote some sort of education to it mm. to understand how it operates in the marketplace and then from there you know you can start you know whether it's hey I'm going to save hundred dollars a month because that's what it's going to take to stand up you know say an eBay account to resell things or maybe I'm just going to operate on Facebook Marketplace or something but you need some a little bit of capital to get started with almost anything and the zero capital, you know, pitches you see all over the place are probably non-existent and far few in between. Yeah, there's a lot of that out there. A lot. I know, know, a lot. I sell houses for zero dollars and this and that. It's like true to some statement, but, you know, these people probably not so much.
1: Yeah, it's um, the one I've been seeing a lot recently is the one on either Instagram or TikTok where, you know, it basically goes from zero to like, seven figures in like six months. And I, I'm just like, you know, it's like, oh, click below. To, you know, it's like, you know, there's probably some merit to something somewhere along the route there. But when you see, you know, I'm getting hundreds of hits a day yeah. on people hurt, I'm just like, there's, there's no way here
0: buy my course buy my course you know that's really what it's turned out to is you get you know maybe some like slightly successful people that are like oh i've created a course and this is how you do xyz and really you know in the the gist of things when it all kind of pans out it's like that person might have only sold you know fifty thousand dollars of products but made a million dollars on how to sell to fifty thousand dollar product right you know so it's You have to watch, you know, when I was picking mentors, like financial mentors, stock market mentors, real estate mentors, and personal mentors, like I needed to see their success. Realistic. Like I need to see it. You can't just tell me, like, show me. If you have something to show me, then, you know, I believe it. But if not, you know, it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. And I'm just, uh, you know, it it goes back to some of the the, the quick fix solution. Sometimes people are looking so desperately for an out or, or something, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? How do I reverse this downward spiral I'm in and they're trying to latch on to anything. Yeah. And I'm like, anything, I, I, I understand the mentality, but at the same time, um, it's like, why to to a certain extent, it's like, well, why are you still posting on TikTok If you're making $7 million a month, stuff so, so, you know what I mean? I'd be like, yeah. that'd be the last thing on my mind. I'd be like, why why am I even doing this?
0: Well, you've turned into like a marketing company at that point or selling courses, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I I like to move very silently. I don't post anything I do. Yeah. I, I'm
1: I'm kind of the same way besides like some of the, the podcast stuff, which is just more like conversations <laughs> and you know, that's where I've gotten i I've learned a lot of information over the years. I think that's a really still a very good route to go for people is yeah. to listen to podcasts. They're they're free and there's so many good people on them. Yeah, absolutely. Um but beyond that, it's like, if I knew something, I'm not just going to start. I tend to just do it, not mm-hmm. stand on the hilltops and start trying to convince everybody else to do it. I'm like, why don't I just focus and do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, all right. finally, what is your favorite beverage? Oh man. we haven't had much of a beverage show. It's, it's the morning episode where, you know, we're sipping on some, uh, <laughs> some, some bubbly and some, some Kirkland's best you know, Kirkland's uh, original from Costco. Um, But uh, what's your favorite beverage?
0: I'm still heavily addicted to Monster Energies. Monster Energy.
1: (laughs) You know what's funny is, this might be a a huge business idea, but all I've ever wanted is something, I don't get any kick off of the energy side of it. Mm -hmm. I just want a water additive that tastes like Monster. You know what I mean?
0: Somebody did that that's all i want in a video it was like somebody pulled the caffeine out of like red bull or something like that Dude,
1: that's all i want <laughs> i i love the taste of red bull i love the taste of monster yeah. but i'm like i don't i don't want all the, the the shit in it you know what i mean yeah
0: i just drink the monster teas because they're oh. not super caffeinated they're just like a nice like cup of coffee energy yeah. level and that's i'm good there yeah i hear you I'm there good there
1: all right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Really yeah, appreciate really, having me on. Really appreciate it. I know you mentioned you you move in silence sometimes, but um, is there anything else you want to plug here, or things you're working on, or things you're looking for? Uh, feel free to to give a shout.
0: Always looking for off marked properties. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody wanting to sell their house, you know, I'm interested in buying.
1: Cool. Is there a, is there a place people can contact you at?
0: Uh, currently, don't have anything cool. set up. Well,
1: they so... can contact me, and I'll, I'll get them. I'll put them in touch. Yeah. Um. But cool man thanks again so much for coming on really appreciate it thank you thanks so much for listening to the show this week if you are not yet a subscriber please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast Apple, Spotify and all major platforms and you will get notifications whenever new episodes are posted if you want to write to us or have a business maybe a good fit for the show feel free to reach out our email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com and our Instagram is at leverageandbeverage I'm Greg Sobosinski and as always keep pushing forward one sip at a time